We'll try to keep that excitement going. Turn to Ephesians chapter number 3. Ephesians chapter number 3. And uh, let me just look at several verses here. Basically cover this whole chapter. Um, I've got so many things uh, this week. Uh, the Lord's talked to me about and we've studied and uh, sometimes there's too much to preach. You just don't have enough time to preach it all. Uh, and uh, so all the things uh, that I've thought about, prayed about, and studied about this week aren't things that I'm preaching about today. But there are things maybe the Lord will uh, let me preach about soon. But uh, he gave me these few thoughts for you for this morning. Ephesians chapter number 3. And just a couple of questions for you to think about as we look through this passage this morning, part of the letter that Paul wrote to the church there at Ephesus. And you know, these were just handwritten letters. They didn't have chapters and verses like they're divided into to us. They just came in a letter format. And uh, so we're thankful that, you know, the Lord's given them to us this way so it helps us to break it down and be able to understand it better. But there's one phrase that Paul uses twice in this section of his letter in what we call chapter 3. It starts out in verse 1. He says, for this cause. And then if you skip over to verse 14, it says again, for this cause. So two times Paul, he, he gives them a reason. He says, for this cause. I, and then he tells them something. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And just two questions to think about while we look here. Number one, what is your cause? What is your cause? And Paul had a cause. And he states it here to the church at Ephesus for this cause. And he, he gives the reason. So number one, what is your cause? And then the second thing, is your cause his cause? Because sometimes our cause is not his cause. It's, it may be a good cause, and it may be a noble cause, but it's not his cause. And we want to make sure that our cause is always in line with his cause. Because if we try to fit his cause into our cause, we're only going to continue to make a mess. But when his cause becomes our cause then we're on the right cause. And then everything will work out right. So let's look here and try to determine what it is that God's cause is. If we turn back to Luke and his description of the life of Christ, that's what each Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call them the Gospels, but there's only one Gospel. And the Gospel is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you notice in your Bible, if it's the right kind of Bible, it says the gospel according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke. It's their account of the life of Christ. It's their account of the gospel record, the death, burial, and the resurrection. It's not Matthew's gospel or Mark's gospel. But if we look into Luke's account of the life of Christ, chapter 19 and verse 10, you would find these words. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
Jesus Christ had one purpose. And he states that purpose. Luke records it for us there very emphatically. Those words, if you have a red letter Bible, would be in red. Nobody else said it about Jesus. Jesus said it himself. He said, I'm come to seek and to save that which was lost. I have one cause. One cause. And that's to be the sacrifice for sins. To seek out sinners and to save sinners. Well, we know that's what his life was all about, wasn't it? He ate with sinners, didn't he? He fellowshiped with sinners. He didn't sin with sinners. We have to be careful sometimes. We, we want to use that idea about Jesus. Well, Jesus ate and fellowshiped with the sinners, so it's okay for me to go and hang out. No, it's not okay to go hang out where they hang out at. It's not okay to do what they do. He, he had a meal with them. He might have went to their home and he fellowshiped with them. Why? So he could show them who he was and what he was here for. And it was to make a difference in their life. All right? So we know that his purpose was to seek and to save that which was lost. In John chapter 3, everybody knows verse 16 because you learn it from the time you're a kid in church growing up if you're fortunate enough to be raised in a Christian home or Christian grandparents that take you to church and Sunday school and all that. Everybody knows John 3.16. And even if you don't grow up in church, most people have read it because they've watched a football game and it's plastered on a billboard somewhere behind the end zone says John 3.16 or under somebody's eyeballs and everybody wants to know what it means so they go get a Bible and look it up. So everybody knows John 3.16. But how many of you this morning can quote for me John 3, 17? A handful of you know what verse 17 says. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He's not talking about this ball of dirt we live on. It's going to be gone one day. I love the mountains. I love the ocean and all the things in between them. But one day it's all going to be gone. It's not, this is not going, this is what I've been, I've been wanting to preach on heaven for about three or four weeks, but God ain't letting me yet. But I'm going to tell you, we have our ideas about heaven and what we think heaven's going to be, but there ain't nobody knows because he said there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Even that one Paul gives us just a brief glimpse of, and all these people that said they died and went to heaven, come back and wrote a book, made millions of dollars off that book, they don't even know. Because there's going to be a new heaven. That's John 14 where he said, I go to prepare a place for you. He's preparing it. It must be a nice place. He's been working on it about 2,000 years now. I mean, it's going to be grand. It'll be wonderful. And it's going to come down out of heaven one day. But he, 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 his purpose is to save people. He said that the world through him might be saved. We don't have to wonder what God's cause is. We don't have to wonder what the cause of Christ is. We know what it is. We know why God left us here. When you read in Matthew where it says, where, where Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. 
that's in no way, I don't care if you study it in the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Swahili, it is in no way a command to be something. Jesus did not say be this. He said you are this. As a Christian, this is what you are. You are salt and you are light. How effective are we at being what we are supposed to be? Jesus' cause is one cause and that's to save people from their sins. That's what he came here for. That's what he died for. That's what he rose from the dead for. That's why he's seated at the right hand of God the Father now. The Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession. He's there not just to intercede on my behalf as his elder brother or or as his brother, uh, but he's there to intercede on the sinner's behalf too and say, God, don't, 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 don't pull their ticket today. Don't, don't pull their number up today. Give them one more day. Let me see if I can't send somebody by there that maybe can get through to them. Let, let me see if the Holy Spirit, just give him one more chance. Why? Because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his sole purpose. Any other cause may be a noble cause, but it's not the main cause. It's not the cause of Christ. It's not. We, in, in our disaster relief, when we do the, all those things for people and we pack food and we pack toiletries and we pack all the different things that, that they need, there's one thing that goes in every one of those packages and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because no matter what they think they need on this earth, what they need more than anything is Jesus. And in a situation like that, people become, they they understand the reality of that need. And our main cause is not to just put food in their belly, not just to put a bar of soap in their hand, not just to give them a drink of water, or give them a clean towel to wipe their face. Our goal is to give them Jesus. Those other things are just a means to an end. But the main thing has to always be the main thing, and that's the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter if it's church, if it's home, where it is, or what it is, the cause has to always remain Jesus Christ. That has to be the cause. Paul said here, for this cause. There's three causes in Ephesians chapter 3. Number one is in verse 1, and it carries on down through verse number 13. I won't read all 13 verses for you. I'll leave that for you to have something to do this afternoon when you go home and you eat too much lunch and you kick back in the recliner. Then you can read these few verses and let the Lord speak to you about them. Here's number one. For this cause, the cause is what? To preach. It's to preach. In verse number eight, the Bible says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints. Now that's about as low as you can get. Less than the least. He said, Unto me is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He, he builds up in, in these first seven verses. He talks about being the prisoner of Christ and, 
and the dispensation of grace that God's given and the revelation of the mystery of the gospel. He, he builds up about the gospel and about who he is and about the Holy Spirit and what's God, what God's done and what God wants to reveal. And in verse 7 he said, I'm made a minister according to the gift of grace. And in verse 8 he said unto me that's the least of all. He said it's given to me, this grace is given unto me to preach the gospel. What are the unsearchable riches of Christ? The gospel. The message that God spared nothing but sent his only son to this earth to die for wicked sinners like you and me. That's the unsearchable riches. That is the gospel message. And to make all men see in verse 9, what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God unto the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The purpose is Jesus Christ. And he says that it's been given unto me to preach Jesus Christ. What happens when we preach Jesus Christ? Other people come to know Jesus Christ. He said it even shakes up heaven. He said unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places by the church. You see those angels sit today in the heavenly places. The good angels and the bad angels. You know the bad angels are still dwelling out there in the atmosphere in the heavenly places and the high places. They're not all bound up in hell yet. Ephesians later on tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but what? Against powers and principalities, rulers of darkness, and where are they? In high places. They're in the heavenlies. They're in the church. You don't believe me? Look at the person sitting next to you. They're a demon. I'm just kidding. Some of y'all thought that before I ever said it. They're out there and God said when the word is preached, when the church does what God sent the ch- established the church for, when the church does, it, it, when the church is fulfilling its cause, it even shakes up the heavens. Why? Because it's a mystery to them. Even the good angels, the bad angels couldn't care less. But even the good angels sit up there. Peter said that they desired to look into this thing called salvation. Didn't Peter say that in chapter 1? They have a desire. They don't understand it. God, why would you allow Jesus Christ to go to that wicked place and die that cruel death for them wicked people? They don't understand that. They don't understand love. They don't understand grace. They don't understand God's mercy. And when the church gets fully involved and fully developed and we begin to see that the cause of Christ is about grace and mercy and about loving people and about being on mission of preaching and teaching the gospel message, you know what? It shakes up heaven. It causes a stir in the heavenlies. God notices when a church is acting and doing what it should for the cause of Christ. What is that first cause? It's to preach the gospel. It's to preach the word. I'm all for teaching. We need instruction and we need teaching and we need discipleship. Discipleship is discipline. We need to be disciplined 
I think everybody, every young man ought to have to grow up and at least spend one year in the military to go through boot camp because most of their daddies is too spineless and wishy-washy to ever teach them anything. They ought to because they need discipline in their life. They need structure in their life. They need to learn what it means to get up on time, to be somewhere on time, to act right, to look right, to dress right. All these things. Discipline comes from teaching. So I'm for teaching. But you cannot substitute teaching for preaching. Because God said it's through the foolishness of preaching. That's what he's chosen. And foolishness does not mean fools. That's not what it means. It's it's educated. It's pointed. It has meaning and it has purpose. Now there's a lot of people that stand up and call themselves preachers that are foolish. God help me not to be one of those. But there are a lot of them. And what they say is plumb foolish. But God said I've chosen that to change the world. I've chosen that method to change people. Why? Because when when a man is fully given to God and God is fully using a man, it's something people can't understand. It's something that, that, that people don't really know a whole lot about. But the Spirit of God uses that to speak to the hearts of people. It's not the man. It's the God behind the man. It's Jesus Christ. See, people don't need to see who's on a platform. They need to see the one behind who's on the platform. The problem sometimes is there's nobody behind the one that's on the platform. They dress flashy and they got personality and they know all the slick words to say to get people to respond and everything they do is in the the power and the strength of the flesh and it's not in the power and the strength of God. God said he's chosen the foolishness of preaching. What happens in preaching? We proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to lost people. That's what we do. We, we exhort Christians to live like Christians. We encourage them to live right and to do right. The other thing or, or, or the reason why we do that is to prophesy or to tell the good news of Christ coming for the church. We have to prepare people for a day that's coming. I don't know when it's coming, and you don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. And it's it's closer today than it was yesterday. We don't get to hit the rewind button in life. Sometimes you might think you get a do-over, but you don't. You might get another opportunity to do the same thing again, but you don't ever get a do-over. Because you can't rewind time. You can't get time back. You, you, you never get it back. That's why it's important not to waste it. The Bible says that we're to redeem the time because the days are evil. Make the best use of it. Don't waste it when we could be doing something that's productive. Because Jesus is coming. The first cause is to preach, to preach the gospel. Proclaim the good news to the lost and to encourage the saint that Jesus is coming again. If we really thought he was coming, we'd get busy telling people about Jesus. But we don't think he's coming. 
we fall into the trap of those in Second Timothy or Second Peter chapter one or Second Peter chapter three. It says, "Where well, where is this coming at? We've heard of it from the beginning. Our fathers talked about it. Our grand, but he's not here. When's he coming? We he ain't coming. We fall into that trap. But I'm telling you, he's coming, and he's coming sooner than later. I believe he'll come in my lifetime." I believe it as sure as I'm standing here in the gray suit and the red tie and the blue shirt, he'll come in my lifetime. I believe it so much, I wouldn't even get let my wife get life insurance, but I finally wised up and let her get some in case I did something stupid. It wasn't on God's case that I died. It was on my case I died. I still ain't bought a plot of dirt nowhere. I don't believe I'll ever need it. I believe he's coming back before I'll die. And I want to tell people he's coming. I want them to know he's coming. Don't want them to die without him. Don't want him to don't want them to be here left behind when the rapture takes place. There is just a there is just a, a, a an earthly, fleshly side of me through the disaster relief and, and working with all that kind of stuff all the years, the excitement and the challenge and you know the 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 I don't know. Whatever, you know, when you help folks, the feeling of goodness or whatever, there's just a little part of me uh, that wants to be here after the rapture so I can help them people. But I ain't going to stay. I'm not going to take no chance. When he calls, I'm getting out. Because if there's not a second bus coming back by, I, you know, I, I don't want to miss the first one. But, but you understand what I'm saying? When you, you think about We've been talking about this in Revelation on the class on Monday night, you know, about the tribulation period and how bad it's going to be and, and all the things <clears throat> that will be going on. You want to help people. You want them to know. We only have so much time to tell them because once it's done, it's done, and we won't be here to tell them. Now, God will have witnesses. We, we don't have time to get into that. You have to come to class on Monday night to find out about that. The three causes, let me get back on track. The three causes in Ephesians 3. Number one, to preach the gospel, to, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And then number three, or excuse me, number two, we find in verse number 14, Paul says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The second cause, Paul said the second cause is this, to pray, to pray. Paul said, I'm here to preach the gospel. Number two, I'm here to pray for people. Not just here to pray for the saints, even though that's what this context is. He's praying for the saints. He's praying for God's people. I'm here to pray for the lost, that the Holy Spirit of God might move in their heart, that they might be quickened. Why? Because he just wrote in this same letter, he wrote to the Ephesians, lest they forget because Christians sometimes are forgetful people. And I looked up the word remember in the Bible. It's, I think, three, uh, 350 or 250 uh, times. I wrote it down. Uh, how many times the word remember uh, is in the Bible? Because God wants us to remember things. Well, evidently, that's not the one I wrote it down in. That's the problem when you have more than one Bible you study out of. But it's in there a lot for us to remember because we're forgetful. So Paul, earlier in this letter, he wrote to him. he said, uh, in you, talking to these people, these saints at Ephesus, and you hath he quickened who were once dead in your trespasses and sins. 
He had to remind them, hey, the Spirit of God came and moved on you one day and quickened you so you could have that free gift of salvation. See? Why did he remind Because we all need to pray for the lost. Because we were lost once too. We were the same as they were once. But, you know, we get a few years behind us and we learn two or three Bible verses and we go to two or three Sunday school classes and, and we get us a clean shirt and a nice tie and we show up at church regular. You know what? We forget about lost people. We forget we used to be like that. And God help us, sometimes we still act like that if we really want to let the truth get out. It may not ever manifest itself, but deep down in our hearts sometimes we get angry, we get mad, we get frustrated, we get our feelings hurt. That, that old man is still in there. We may bury him. Thank God we do. We crucify him and bury him. Paul said, I have to do it once every day. I have to die once every day. So we need to pray for lost folks that God would move on their heart, that they might be saved. And we need to pray for the saints. Why? Because they go through struggles every day. He said that you may be strengthened there in verse number 16. We need strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. In first, the little letter John writes in the little first epistle, John writes, he uses the word unction. You know, that's what's missing off of our churches today. That's what's missing off the preachers and teachers and the old saints of God today that the church used to have. People used to have unction. They, 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 had, they had a moving of the Holy Spirit in their life and they had an unction. What John writes about is simply this. If you don't have an unction, there'll be no function. And that's why a lot of churches today just go through the motions. They don't really have a function. They're just there meeting and greeting and doing what they do. But nobody's getting saved. Nobody's lives are getting changed. You know, we're the same when we leave as we were when we came and we're the same 10 years down the road as we were when we joined 10 years ago because there's no unction. It's all function. We need the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as individuals and that's what Paul prayed for. He prayed that the saints would be strengthened, that we could understand the riches and the glory that comes when you have a life in Christ. He prayed that we would be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. What, what does that mean? How can we understand that? He ends up there that, that we might be filled with the love of Christ. Take your Bible and turn back to Matthew. You, you would know this story. You would know these verses. Matthew chapter number 22. Sometimes even though we know it, it just helps to see it. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus gets real tough right in here. Jesus doesn't play patty cake with the scribes and the Pharisees. He, he, he doesn't accommodate them in their action. He just calls them what they are. I like Jesus' style of preaching. In verse 34, in chapter 22 and verse 34, the Bible says, when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence. What does that mean? He called them out on the carpet. He said, this is who you are, now what are you going to do? And they shut up. He says, they gathered together, 
Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, he thought just because he is a man of the law, he is smarter than Jesus. Y'all know any lawyers like that? If you're a lawyer in church today, I'm sorry. God will forgive you. He said, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now that may not seem significant. So let me help you. In the Mosaic law, there were 613 commandments. 613 commandments. I don't think I could keep up with six. I mean, I can't even keep up with the top ten. But 613. There were 248 things you were to do and 365 things that you were not to do. That was the law. He said, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, there was already ten, so he could have picked one of them ten, and he could have picked the number one of the ten and figured out for himself what the greatest one was. But he was trying to be tricky. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Here's the kicker. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What did Jesus say? He said the number one thing in life is that God comes first. Period. End of story. I mean, you, you don't need three points in a poem. If God ain't first in your life, you're not living right. If you claim Christ today, you, you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb today, you sing the hymns, and you quote the verses, if God's not number one in your life today, you are not living right. You need to repent and get right with God. Ask Him for forgiveness. He'll do it right where you sit right now before I even finish preaching. But if He's not number one in your life, you're out of fellowship. You're living wrong. Jesus said this is the greatest commandment. That you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. There can be nothing in between. And then he said, and the second one is just like the first one. What does that mean? It means it carries just as much weight as the first one. It's just as important, and if there's a penalty to it, that the penalty is just as great as the penalty of the first one. They're equal. You can't separate them. He said, and the second one's likened to it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm not going to preach long and hard on that because there's some neighbors in the past I've had that I might not have loved right. But we all know what that means, doesn't it? That we sometimes treat other people better than others and some less than others based on how we feel about them or how they look or how they act. I mean, I'm not perfect at it. I get it wrong sometimes. I make mistakes. And the Lord will tap me on the shoulder. But I, might, I might be at a service station getting gas and somebody walk by and, and speak to me, you know. and You know them kind, they just, they just got that look like, you know, what do they want? They want $5 to go get them a bottle of wine or get their next high or something. You, you know them kind of... 
and they walk by while you're getting gas and give you a nod, throw a finger up, you know, how you doing? Be, they're nice. And I've been guilty. Act like I didn't see them or hear them. Turn away from them. Or, you know, just one finger. Yep, doing all right. How you doing? Busy like everybody. You okay? And just, you know what I'm saying? Just acknowledging but not acknowledging. Like, okay, how you doing? Keep on moving, please. You ever done anything like that? You know, and God just reached down and tapped me on the shoulder and said, I might have wanted you to talk to that when you could have been a little nicer. Loving your neighbor like yourself. Why did Paul tell him? He said, for this cause, I'm going to pray for you. Why? Because you need to learn how to love people like Jesus loved people. Paul said, I'm going to pray for you. There's a cause. There's a reason why I'm going to pray. Because Jesus said, you got to love God first. You've got to love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, oh, by the way, if you don't do those two things, nothing else matters. That's what verse 40 means. He said, on these two hang all the law and the commandments. It don't matter how much good you think you do. It don't matter how much money you put in the offering plate today. It don't matter how many prayers you prayed this week. It don't matter how many Bible verses you read, how many chapters you read, how many people you went out and told about Jesus. None of that stuff matters if God's not first in your life. And you don't treat people like you would treat your own self. You don't love them how you love you. I love me. Look at me. Does it look like I skip a meal? I love me. I'm not wearing old ratty looking clothes today, am I? This is not a new suit. It's a hand-me-down suit. The man that used to wear this suit's already dead and gone to heaven. I didn't pay money for it. But it's a nice suit. I don't spend a lot of money on clothes. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I care about me. I care enough to look decent. I want to present myself decent. So you know what? I ought to love other people that much too. I see somebody that needs a new pair of shoes, I ought to go buy them a new pair of shoes. I see somebody and I think, well, they need a better shirt than that. They need a pair of breeches. Before you ever get down on somebody that comes to church because they don't dress like you think they ought to dress, maybe you ought to talk to them about their closet, and if they don't have the right clothes to wear, you take them and buy them the right clothes to wear. Maybe they don't have a dress. Maybe they don't have a good pair of breeches. Maybe they don't have a clean shirt. It's easy to judge, but sometimes we just need to invest the time to find out what the reason is and love them like we love us. You see? Because he said, if we can't do that, none of that other stuff matters much at all. It just don't matter. And Paul said, I'm going to pray for you. Number one, that you have the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life. Why? Because you're going to need the Holy Spirit to love some of them people. You can't do it on your own. Miss Jennifer, you can't keep loving on them. When they come time after time and they just use you, can you? It's hard. And you know that's all they do is use you. But how many times have we had to go back to Calvary and say, Lord, forgive me? How many times has he had to forgive us for the sins that we commit, for the wrongs that we do? I go at least once a day and ask for that forgiveness. So shouldn't we be forgiving? Shouldn't we be kind? And I know 
that there's the element of, of you know, common sense and, and, and not enabling people. And there's, there's a line. I understand that. But too many times we start there instead of working our way to there. You see? We, we have to get to the place to cut somebody off, not start at the place of cutting somebody off. We have to learn to love people. It takes the Spirit of God and the power of God so that we can love people. So Paul's going to pray for them to be filled with the Spirit, to be rooted and grounded in love. Why? That we as God's people can be filled with love. And then the last thing I want you to notice, and I have a whole other message about these two verses. There's three causes. The first cause is to preach preach the gospel to share and to live out the truth in front of people number two is to pray not only for the sinners but for the saints and then number three you find in verse 20 in one word it doesn't say for this cause it just simply says now N-O-W now after you've preached after you've shared the gospel and, and, and you've, you've, you've talked to people about heaven and you've talked to people about what's coming in the world and you've encouraged saints through the preaching and teaching and the ministering of God's word and you've prayed for the lost and you've prayed for the saints and you've, you've tried to be an encouragement to them and you've tried to love them and you've tried to bless them. And at the end of all that, no matter if you think it was good or it was bad or you were a success or you weren't a success... No matter what, at the end of all that, Paul says, now. Now it's time to praise. We preach, we pray, and we praise. He said, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. What is that power that works in us? That power that he prayed for us to have the filling of the Holy Spirit. He said, according to that power, he said, unto him be glory. Unto him be glory. What does that mean? It means we praise him. We thank him. We're grateful. We defer it all to him. It's not me. It's not you. It's not this church. It's not any church. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he does. If he didn't go away, the Holy Spirit couldn't come. If the Holy Spirit wasn't here, we couldn't do what we do. It's all about Jesus. We preach about him. We pray about him. We pray for him. We pray for that feeling. We pray for his presence. We pray for that encouragement. And then we praise him for who he is and for what he does. Always. He alone is worthy of our praise. He says... Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world, without amen. How, how do we praise him? If you want to know if he's worthy or not, go read Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. You can't read them two chapters without crying and shouting and wanting to run around and act Pentecostal. Because he is worthy. And he alone is worthy of our praise. But the Bible says there, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. There's, there's three 
three little things to notice here. The church is what brings him praise and glory. It's through God's people. The church is made up of individuals, isn't it? It, it does not exist. This building is not the church. You and I are the church. Other believers that are meeting in other buildings today, they are the church. So how do we as the church, it says unto him be glory in the church. How do we bring him glory? How do we praise him? Number one, personally. We praise him and we bring glory to him personally. Because that's the only way it will ever happen corporately. If I'm not doing it as an individual, I won't do it when I'm here. It just won't happen. Church won't happen if we're not living it outside of here. Spirit of God's not going to show up in this empty building. Jesus didn't say that, the whole, that God would send a comforter to a building. He'd send him to us as people. He'd indwell us as people. So if we want God at church, we've got to bring him with us. So we, we, we praise him and we bring him glory personally. And then number two, publicly. How are the people going to know about him if we don't do it in public? God don't have any FBI agents. He don't have undercover workers. There's no undercover Christianity. Jesus did not die undercover. That cross was set up at the crossroads of, of commerce. There outside the walls of Jerusalem. Everybody from the world came through there. It was the crossroads of commerce through that little uh, town of Jerusalem. And in the public square, they beat him, spat upon him, plucked his beard out, put the crown of thorns on him, ripped the flesh off his back, and then took him and nailed him to an old piece of wood and stuck it up in the ground. And there he hung, naked and bruised and battered, the Bible says that his visage was so marred that you couldn't even tell that he was a human being. You couldn't even recognize him as a man. And the whole world saw him hanging there publicly. And we're ashamed for somebody to know that we're a Christian. We, 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 we don't want people to know that we go to church and we might read the Bible. And God forbid they ever think I'd get excited at church and it... It would make a difference in my life and, 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 and I'd actually get on fire for Jesus. Somebody would call me a fanatic or a zealot or something like that. Now we wouldn't want people to think that about us. But it's okay for them to know who our favorite football team is. Well, I could have got a whole crowd of amens and you could have got off the hitch real quick. But you know it's the truth. We want people to know who we root for except when it comes to Jesus. And he said we're to bring him praise and glory publicly in the public square. He died in the public square. We're to live it in the public square. And then not only personally, not only publicly, but we're to live it perpetually, perpetually. He said uh, throughout all ages, world, without end every generation till he comes back always we're to live in such a way that it brings him praise and glory do I need purging ever so often sure I do 
Does my family need purging ever so often? Sure we do. Does the church need purging ever so often? Sure it does. Because it's made up of people. And people do. It's funny, around our house, one of my best and dearest friends is an evangelist. And, and they travel all over the United States and he goes to different countries a couple times a year. But every year they come through this part of town uh, and, and they're usually pretty... Are they in Montgomery this week? They're usually in this area once a year and, uh, and we go and or try to be part of the services and stuff. And, and my family, my boys, it, it's kind of funny, they always know a few days after the revival meeting, they kind of hover around their mama. And it's like, Mama, what's daddy going to tell us we got to change this year? What, what are we going to have to do different this year? Why? Because ever so often we need to realize that we need purging. There's things we need to do to change. We need to grow closer to him. We need to be better. Why? So we can bring him praise. So we can bring him glory. It's how all these things work together. There's preaching, there's praying, and there's praise. Paul said there's a cause. There was another famous time that was used, wasn't there? Back in the Old Testament, a little old shepherd was tending his sheep one day. <laughs> Spotted his whole business out on the fields. And daddy said, come take some bread and cheese to your brothers, David. And what did he do? He walked out on the side of that hill. And he heard that giant mocking his God, making fun of his God. And he looked around at all those mighty warriors. He said, if y'all ain't going to do something about this big boy, I'll go take care of him. I'm not going to let him mock my God like that. What did his brother do? He said, oh, you just come up here to make trouble, you naughty little fart. You get on back to the house. <laughs> what did David do? He looked right back at him and he said, is there not a cause? I'm going to tell you something. We live in a world where 99% of it mocks the God we say we love and serve. And it's time somebody set up and took notice and said, is there not a cause? I'm telling you today, there's a cause for preaching. There's a cause for praying. And there's a cause for praising God. And it's because the world is on a fast track to hell. And we're the only ones that can make a difference in it. Washington not going to make a difference in it. Politicians not going to make a difference in it. Peace treaty is not going to make a difference in it. Nothing in this world is going to make a difference. The only thing that will make a difference is the power of God on the people of God proclaiming the truth of God. And that happens when we go infiltrate the world and we live like salt and we live like light in the world that we go into every day. I'm telling you today, there is just as much a cause as there was that day on the hillside when David faced that giant. There's a cause. And Paul said there's a cause. There's a reason I preach. There's a reason I pray. And there's a reason I praise. And I'm asking you today, what's your cause? And is your cause his cause? Do you need to make your cause his cause today? 
What, what are you actively doing? What are you involved in actively that proclaims the gospel? What are, what are you actively involved in that brings praise to the Lord Jesus Christ? What, what are you doing? What is the cause that you're a part of that gets the gospel message out? Are you, are you part of a group that witnesses? Are you part of a group that prays? I'm going to tell you something. The, one, of the, one of the reasons the church is, is falling into a lot of the traps and, and the pitfalls of the devil today is because we've lost the prayer cover of saintly women in the church. Men, men have to go to work and they have to make a living. And I know we live in a generation where it's two income families and women work too. I get that. But not everybody does. But most all the men work. And back in the day, that's why the church had so much power on it because we had godly women at the house praying during the days for their husbands, for their families, for their preacher, for the church, for the leadership. We had prayer cover. And we've lost that. Do most families have to have a two-household income? Well, you know, would we have to if we adjusted the way we live some, maybe? You know, what's our priorities? I get it. But the point still is this. We need to carve out some time. If we have to stay up later or get up earlier, we need to pray. We need to be involved in praying for people. That needs to be a part of our cause is prayer. Do we get excited about worship? Do you get excited about coming to church? Y'all, hey, I know it's a tough time in church right now. We, you know, really it's not. That's just an easy thing to say because, well, we don't have a preacher and, and we're not sure if you'll stay and be the preacher and, we, you know, we just, it's so much uncertainty and it's just, it's not a tough time. Why? Because Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If God called you here and God put you here, you've been here for over a hundred years, you think it's all going to fall apart in two or three months? It ain't going to happen. Because you didn't get it here and you're not going to keep it here. God's the one that does it all. What does he need us to do? He just needs us to get excited about it. He needs us to get excited about church. Get excited about worshiping together, about praising God together, about coming in fellowshipping together. You know what will happen? Other people will say, hey, there's something going on up there on that hill. I thought they didn't have a preacher, and I thought there was this going on that. Well, you know what? None of that must matter because God's up there because they're all excited about him. And when we get excited about him, you know, it'll catch on like wildfire. Somebody else will want some of what it is. Some of them people left might say, hey, we might have left too soon. We better get back over there and see what it is God's doing. And it won't be because of who stands behind this desk. I promise you that. Because it ain't me. It's God. And it's the Spirit of God, and it's the power of God, and it's the presence of God. And all of you have everything to do with that. There's a cause today, and the cause is Jesus Christ. Is His cause your cause. Let's bow our heads. And she begins to play. You don't have to wait on me. If God spoke to your heart and you want to come to the altar this morning, 
You come. You say, well, preacher, why do you always talk about the altar? Well, God's the one that established the altar. God's the one that made it that that's where we come to to give our sacrifice. That's where we come to to, to give of ourself and, and to, to offer that sacrifice, not just for salvation, but for forgiveness. That's where we come to bring our petitions to Him. The Bible says if you go and to bring your gift to the Lord and you put it on the altar, you got all in your heart, you leave your gift and go make it right with your brother. The altar is a significant thing. Why is it important? Well, we're supposed to live for Him publicly. And if you're ashamed to come in the presence of God's people and pray and let God help you and, and let God's people pray with you and for you, then you know what? You'll definitely be ashamed of Him when you go out of this building. I don't preach for results. But this is your personal time to do business with God. There's something in your cause that doesn't line up with his cause. You ought to get that right with him today. If you want to see this church be what it ought to be, you ought to come today and pray and ask God to do something different. You ought to ask God to move in a mighty way on this church. Pray for your church. Pray for your family. Pray for God to do what only God can do. That's what it's all about. I can't, I can't change people. Only the Holy Spirit can change people. God, the Bible says, God hears the prayers of His people. And when we come together as His people, when we pray together as His people, it moves heaven and earth. God will do mighty things. I was reading just last night about Daniel. Daniel was a man of prayer and he talked to God and for 20 something days Daniel prayed he prayed he confessed he repented of his sins he repented of the sins of the nation of Israel he begged God for answers and for 21 days Daniel fasted and prayed Gabriel left heaven on day one with the answer to that prayer but he had to fight the demons and the devils of hell for 21 days to get there Michael had to come and help him fight off those demons so that he could get passage to give Daniel the answer I'm telling you God hears prayer and he answers prayer and when we do it together it makes a difference maybe you're here today and you just hadn't gotten to the place yet where, where you have that courage. God will help you. Nobody's looking. There are folks here in the altar praying, no doubt, for the church, that God would give the church direction and wisdom and, and help the church and lead the church. Maybe there's somebody here this morning, you're sitting there and you're thinking, Preacher, I, I, I'd love to do those things. I don't have the courage. I don't have the knowledge. But I want to. Would you pray for me? If you just raise your hand up right back down, nobody's looking. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Just want to pray for you. That God will give you the courage. God will give you the strength to be able to walk with Him. To be able to serve Him. Like we talked about this morning. Anybody, anywhere. 
Preacher, I'm here today and I've not really preached the gospel this morning, but I've talked about it. I've explained what it is. But God, the Holy Spirit's moved in your heart. That's that quickening we talked about. That's not me. That's God. God spoke to you and, and He's pricked your heart and there's that feeling going on that, that there's something you need. It's that Jesus is what you need. You, you need to be covered by the blood. You need your sins to be forgiven. You need to know that you have heaven as your eternal home. That's what the gospel message is all about. Preacher, that spirit of God's moved in me. That's what I feel today. But I don't know what to do about it. Would you pray for me? Is anybody like that in the building this morning? Just raise your hand right up, right back down. Preacher, I, I need that. Would you pray for me? Anybody, anyone? Thank you. Father, we're so thankful this morning. God, that you've given us everything that we need in your word. God, if we'd just search the scriptures, we'd find you. If we'd spend time in them, Lord, we could fellowship with you. We could walk with you. We could discern, Lord, right and wrong. God, I pray this morning you'll just strengthen us and encourage us. God, help us to receive the preaching that Paul talked about. God, help us to be men and women of prayer. God, help us to be men and women that are not afraid to praise you, to give you honor and to give you glory. Because, God, it's you that do everything for us in our life. God, we, we, it's your breath, it's your air that we breathe. It's you that gives us the help that we have to get up and go to the jobs that we have. Lord, there's not anything we could do of our own self without you. God, help us to never forget it, but to always realize it and to give you thanks and to be grateful for it. God, there's not anything we can do as a group of people without your power, without your leadership, without your blessing, without your direction. God, may, I, may you give the leaders of this church wisdom. May you give me wisdom, Lord, as we try to move forward and fulfill the responsibility that you've given us here on this hill. God, I pray that the path would be clear. Lord, that your, that your will would be direct and that we would know and understand what it is. God, I pray for those that raise hands this morning. You know the hearts of each and every person. God, you can meet them at the point of their need. Lord, we just want to thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us this morning with your presence. God, we could meet and we could throw out some scriptures and sing some songs and pray some prayers and you never even show up. But God, we thank you that this morning we felt like maybe that you're pleased with what we've tried to do here today. God, your people have seen you. I pray, God, that you'll just help us as we go from this place. Lord, to be grateful, be mindful of your presence. Lord, keep us safe this afternoon. Help us to enjoy our families wherever we may have to go, whatever we may have to do, just to spend this day, this afternoon, reflecting on your goodness and your greatness. If it be your will, bring us back safe again. Be with those that have meetings, Lord. Give wisdom in those things. Help us, Lord, to meet again and open your word and worship you for who you are. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Budget meeting this afternoon. Don't forget about that.
regular service at 5 o'clock, and then we need to meet for just a little bit with the deacons after church tonight. All right. Anything else? All right. The last person out has got to buy the chicken. <laughs>